0: Let's ask God to uh, be our teacher this morning. Gracious God, we, uh, we come humbly before you and we want to ask first and foremost that this morning you might impress upon our hearts that your word is indeed true, that your word is indeed the only authority. and that you are through your word you communicate to us not only things about yourself your character and your purposes for your creation including us but through your word you seek to encourage us you seek to build us up to strengthen us you seek to reveal yourself and your plans to us. Thanks for the privilege, Lord, this morning of being able to open up your word together. And we pray this morning that uh, as we do, Lord, that each of us will invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today. That our hearts might be open to what it is you have to say to us. And that we might just submit ourselves our wills our lives to the authority of your word for we ask it in jesus name amen you might remember a few years back there was a bit of a uh, um, a bit of an upsurge if you like in interest in the afterlife i think much of that was sparked by uh, a number of accounts of people who claim to have had these near-death experiences uh, there was a number of books that came out and, and a, a movie that was planned and things like that. Books such as uh, Heaven is for Real. Some of you might be familiar with that book about a, a young boy called uh, Colton Burpo who had undergone emergency surgery but believed that uh, through that surgery experience that he had actually gone and, and visited heaven. Another book was uh, about a boy who, uh, who came back from heaven about a young guy called Alex Malarkey who was involved in a serious car accident with his dad and uh, was, uh, was in a coma for two months and when he awoke from that coma he uh, awoke with, uh, with the uh, revelation that he himself had, had been there in heaven and it, uh, but unfortunately later on he would admit that that story was, uh, was, a, whole, was a hoax cooked up between him and his dad. Another popular book was Don Piper's 90 Minutes in Heaven. This was a a pastor who was involved in a car accident where he was pronounced dead, but after 90 minutes came back to life. These books were all bestsellers on the New York bestseller list. And I think what they do is they point to people's fascination and curiosity with life after death and what we can hope to expect. I mean, when we think about it deep down, I think the majority of people hope for something better beyond this life, don't they? Because if if this life is all there is, with all its difficulties, with all its hardships, with the pain and with the sorrows, then I think as one philosopher said, it would have been better not to have been born at all. Every single one of us every single human being alive will one day die you and I will one day die that is the reality as one commentator said the human mortality is the human mortality rate is 100% have you ever really considered that? Some of you older folk may have done Maybe not so much some of you younger folk. You think you've got, you know, years and years and years ahead of you. But from the day we were born, we're on a trajectory to death. That's a sombre and morbid kind of a way to start a sermon this morning, isn't it? But folks, that's the reality. That is the reality that we will all face. And the question that confronts us because of that reality is that what will happen to us when we die? This series is about addressing this very question. We start a new series today on heaven and hell. And the Bible clearly presents two very uh, very um, straight-out options. There is only one of two options, according to the Bible, and that is heaven or hell there is no in between there is no other option but only two and each and every one of us will have to one day face the consequences of our choice that we make here in this life So, as we commence this series this morning, I want us all to, uh, I guess, be thinking of what it is, you know, what, what our lives are all about. And most importantly, I want us to be thinking about that trajectory that we are all on. And let's face it, we never know when our life on this earth will come to an end. For some of us, it may be sooner than others. And like I said before, the younger you are, and I know it from my my own experience, the younger you are, the less you, you think about this. In the news just recently, there have been reports of young people who have lost their lives, tragically. Motor vehicle Accidents. Victims of violence, one punch can kill. Young people who have been diagnosed with terminal diseases. We never ever know when our life is going to come to an end. Each of our days are numbered, the Bible tells us. And we have to face that question. Where will we go when we die? You know, throughout history, throughout the history of all mankind, every civilization has believed in life after death in some form or another. Did you know that? Every civilization. You know, this, this would suggest to me that there seems to be a, 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 a deep down uh, knowledge or sense, if you like, of the eternal in each of our hearts. We were made as eternal beings. The Bible reminds us of this in Ecclesiastes verse, chapter three and verse eleven, where it says that he that is God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity into the hearts of men. We are eternal beings. That is how God made us. And he has put that craving, that yearning, that desire for eternity in our hearts. It is part of our maker. We know deep down, even though we might not want to admit it out loud, we all know deep down that there is something beyond death. There is something beyond this life. Augustine, one of the early church fathers and probably one of the most early respected theologians wrote this, it says he, again speaking of God, says he has put eternity in our hearts and we are restless until we find our rest in him. Isn't that a great a great illustration of our world today? It is a restless world. We are restless people. Don't we see that all around us today this restlessness in people's hearts, striving, yearning, chasing after things that will in, will bring about that peace and rest and fulfillment in their lives. Searching for that, searching for these things in in all kinds of 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 you know um uh, activities and all kinds of things, material things and stuff like that, in in things that, that through careers and through you know all kinds of uh, of of different um, you know, of different ways, trying to find that that sense of peace and fulfillment. And yet, the more and more they get for themselves, the more and more they seem as though it's still not enough. How many examples have we heard of people who have who have reached the pinnacle of their particular chosen field? I think of Boris Becker a number of years ago, one of the, 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 the most uh, one of the most uh, famous tennis players, uh, you know, in recent times, in modern times who had the whole world at his feet. He was the number one, ranked the number one men's tennis player in the world. He had millions of dollars. He had people who were just flocking after him. He had, you know, he had what was uh, this world would consider as to be the good life. And yet he said, when I reached the top and I had all this stuff, he said, I was empty. I was empty. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. Believers over the centuries who put their faith and hope in the God of the Bible have looked forward to a blessed future when this life is over. A future with God, to be with Him in this wonderful place called heaven. But is heaven for real? Is it for real or is it just pie in the sky, wishful thinking? And if it is real, what's it like? And can we actually know for sure? Maybe there's some of the questions that are going on in your minds this morning. Well, we hope to enhance some of those as we just work our way through this passage in Revelation 21. So you might like to open your Bibles up if you've closed them to that particular passage or your, maybe your mobile phones or iPads or whatever you've got to read the Bible in. And we'll look at this together. First thing we understand from the Bible is that heaven is indeed a real place. Look at verse 1 of our passage this morning. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. As it said, the Apostle John is writing down for us a vision that he has been given by God or the resurrected Jesus, which speaks of this new heaven and this new earth that supersedes the first heaven and the first earth. There's some argument amongst biblical scholars as to whether or not this new heaven and earth are just that. They're completely, completely new entities. That they have nothing at all to do with the, with the old heaven and the old earth that are passing away. But some believe that they are in fact a renewed or restored heaven and earth. What John is saying here is that you know there's going to come a day when God brings all of history to a conclusion and he is, going to, he is going to renew and restore all things. And currently as we live on this earth, the earth that we know, our own present experience, we are told by the Bible that there is going to be a new earth or a renewed earth, a restored earth. An earth where there's gonna be no more of the, the difficulties and the hardships and, the, and all of the, the uh, you know the natural disasters and all those sorts of things that, uh, that, that that shape our world as we know it today. All of the crime and all of the war and all of the all of those sorts of things, it's all gonna be done away with. In Romans, Paul speaks about the fact that not only do we ourselves groan for something better, but the earth, the creation itself is groaning for, for, for its renewal, for its restoration, for, for God to bring about this, this change and this transformation in, about, in the whole creation. Right from the right from the fall, we see God's purpose has been to re, re renew and restore all of all things back to what it was when he first made the heavens and the earth. You know Genesis 1 1, don't you? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Yes. But then in Genesis 3, we see you know, all of a sudden God's perfect creation is marred and is corrupted by sin. Did that catch God off guard? No, it didn't. But God sought to then start this whole renewal and restoration process. And that, folks, that is what the whole story of the Bible is about. The Bible isn't just about you know, individual books and you know individual kind of, 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 of chapters or individual kind of you know, stories here and there, but it is one story woven right the way through, from the very beginning right through the very end. And here in the very end, we see what God's plan has been, and that is to renew and restore heaven and earth. We have a new heaven and a new earth. But what we see in this is that we see that both heaven and earth are referred to as real places. And the fact that heaven is a real place is made clear in passages such as Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. You remember the, uh, the, the prayer that Jesus actually taught his disciples? The Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Jesus says, when you pray to God, you are praying to our Father who is in, where? Heaven. God is in heaven. In fact, Jesus declares, you know, that we often spoke of the Father who is in heaven. We see that, you know, through the Gospels, particularly in Matthew's Gospel, we see a lot of that. Jesus himself in John John chapter 3 and verse 13 was declared to be the one who descended from heaven. And it is from heaven that Christ is to be revealed on the last day. If you, if you have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 you'll, and chapter 4, you'll see that yourselves. I won't ask you to turn there now, but we'll, uh, we'll get you to do that a bit later on. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and chapter 4. In John chapter 14 and verse 2, Jesus tells his followers that he is going away to heaven to prepare a place for them so that they may be with him. So if heaven is not a real place, then Jesus is lying, isn't he? Jesus doesn't lie because Jesus is God. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Heaven is a real place. Hebrews 9:24 says that Christ has entered heaven to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We sang about that this morning. Behold, before the, of God, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who lives and pleads for me. There before the throne of God, Jesus is our intercessor. He is our advocate before the Father, there in heaven. Is heaven a real place? You bet it is. You bet it is. Not only that, believers are called to make preparations for heaven. Remember in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures here on earth, but instead store up for yourself treasures in heaven. We're also told that our inheritance is in heaven in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 and that believers themselves are referred to as citizens of heaven in Philippians chapter 3. There is no doubt that scripture affirms that heaven is indeed a real place. Heaven is indeed a real place. Heaven exists right now, folks. It is where God is right now. It is where Jesus is right now, our advocate before God. It is where angels right now bow down before the throne of God and worship him. But one day God says, you know what, when I, when I restore all things, I'm going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth and both those things, and we're going to learn this through the, through the series, that God is going to unite heaven and earth together. That God will be with his people. And so that moves us into our second point this morning. We'll see it in verse 3. That the second thing we need to understand about heaven is that it is indeed the dwelling place of God. Look at it in verse 3. And behold, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Did you know that it has always been God's plan to make His dwelling with mankind? Always. That has always been God's purpose. Right from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, where God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, God created them to be there in the garden to be His, his, to have dominion over His creation, under His leadership, and God Himself, where was He? Was he separated from Adam and Eve in the garden? No, he wasn't. He was there with them. In fact, he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Now, although God is perfect in and of himself and that that relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, what we call the the Trinity of God, God is perfect and has no need for anything or anyone apart apart from himself. But even though God desired to, God did not need anyone or anything. He chose to create. He chose to create mankind. Why? So He could be with them, and they could be with Him. That they could be invited into that relationship, into that perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we might enjoy all of the blessings and all of the the, uh, the wonderful uh, and incredible. I've got. I've got no words for it. <laughs> But to enjoy the very presence of God, to be with Him. We see it in the tabernacle. Remember, we did the whole preaching series on the tabernacle. What was God's purpose for the tabernacle? It was so that He could be with His people. God says, You build a tent, and I'll come and fill it, I'll come and live in it, so that I can be with you and you can be with me. We see it in the person of Jesus, the ultimate display and revelation of God, God himself in the flesh. We know that Jesus, in John chapter 1, says that Jesus came and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. God came to dwell with us, to be with us. That's how much God desires relationship with his people. And ultimately, God's perfect plan is that we will be with Him forever, there in heaven. But can I say, although heaven is a place, it is heaven purely because of the that the presence of God dwells there. It is only heaven because God is there. If we took God out of it, it would no longer be heaven, wouldn't it? It is in heaven that we shall see God. Can you imagine that this morning? That for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, who have had their sins forgiven through Him, that one day we will indeed see God. We will gaze on God. We will be in the very presence of God Himself. Does that excite you? It should. It should lift our hearts to a place. That is just so majestic and glorious, you've got no idea. Folks, that is the God who loves you. That is the God who died for you in order that you could be with Him. Can you get the sense of how much God wants to be with you, with us as His people? You know, so often today we hear about man's search for God as though God is some, some you know, cosmic deity who's, who's there, you know, hidden out there in the cosmos somewhere. And we've got to, you know, use all of our mental and, and, uh, you know, and intellectual faculties and that sort of thing in order to seek him out and, and to find him and to know to, so that we might know him. I read a story once about, you know, or read a a bit of an illustration about, you know, God is is somewhere out there hiding behind some couch out there behind Jupiter or something like that, you know, playing a, a game of hide and seek with people. That's not who God is. God desires to be known, and God has made every way possible for us to know Him so that we could be with Him. We don't have to seek God, God seeks after us. God seeks after you. What about the parables in in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son? Doesn't that say to us that God is a pursuing God, that God is a God who seeks after us, to know us, so that we can know him and be known by him? Heaven is the place where God is. And it is from God's glorious presence that all of the blessings of heaven originate and come to us. I mean, the Bible speaks of God as our portion and our inheritance. Psalm 73 verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My inheritance, all that I long for God is. Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6, that David writes, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So let me ask you this morning, let me ask you this. What is it that you are looking forward to most in heaven? What are you looking forward to most when it comes to heaven? Is it God himself? Because it needs to be. You know, I hear many people talk about heaven and, and about all the things that we'll experience in heaven. You know, we'll, it'll be a beautiful place and, you know, we'll meet our loved ones there and we'll be reunited with loved ones and all those sorts of things. And you, you know what? That is so much the case. That is so true. But all of those things will pale in comparison to the fact that we will indeed be there with God. And it is God himself who we must desire most in our hearts and in our lives because first and foremost it will be God who will be our delight in heaven. And if we are looking forward to all these other things and not God, then we've got the wrong focus and the wrong motives in our Christian lives. Because what that says is that we love the things that God gives rather than God himself. And when we put the things that God gives in the place of God himself, we are idolaters. We worship the, the created instead of the creator. We need to primarily love, for God, love God for himself, for who he is. Does that describe your heart today? Do you truly love God for who he is, for himself first and foremost, rather than just the things that he blesses us with? Folks, God's greatest gift to us is and always will be himself. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. One Timothy six seventeen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, God Himself, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Of course, that's not to say that there won't be any incredible benefits and blessings in heaven that we will experience there in God's presence. And that's our third point this morning: that heaven is a place of complete fulfilment. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Heaven will be the place that is characterized by the removal of all sadness, of all pain, of all suffering, of death and ultimately of sin. Don't we long to be removed, to, to be, to be completely healed of our sin? Don't we long to be released from this sinful and corrupt body which continues to go after these things which we know doesn't please God and which we know are not good for us? One day we will. Heaven is going to be perfect, folks. It is going to be perfect. It will be a place of sheer joy and beauty, a place of absolute delight and pleasure. It will be a place where, where that God Himself will be there. And because God Himself will be with us as our God, all of the, the blessings that are His will be ours in Him. It speaks in verse six this morning, and He said and He said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give him, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. It is the place where our thirst will finally be ultimately quenched. In heaven, we will know and experience what it is to be completely and absolutely satisfied, to be at peace and at rest, to have pure contentment. Can you imagine that? To finally be in a place where we will be able to be absolutely and completely at rest and at peace and content in our lives. We will want for nothing, we will need for nothing because God himself will be there and he will be all that we need. There's a longing today in each and every heart here in this place. There's a restlessness. There's a dissatisfaction in each and every heart here in this place today. Why? Because we have not yet reached our rest. We have not yet entered into that peace that God alone can bring. Yeah, we may have entered into it in a way which... You know, which is a, a tough foretaste, if you like, and I, I love Roz's you know, testimony this morning because what she was talking about this morning was that foretaste of the peace which God can bring into our hearts in this world amidst all the chaos and amidst all of the all of the, the hardship and all that goes on in this in this life. It is but a foretaste. Can you imagine what will be when we will enter into the fullness of that? God says that is what we yearn for, that is what we desire after. And the things of this earth will just not suffice. They will always leave us empty and, and, and unfulfilled and unsatisfied. I love that image in Psalm 23 where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he restores my soul. And I think that is the picture of the kind of peace and contentment and rest that we are heading towards in heaven. And although we have a foretaste of it now in Jesus Christ, we will one day be there in all of its fullness. And folks, that is something to yearn after, that is something to aim for, and that is something to delight in. Isn't that the the case today? We will need nothing because we will have all we need. Finally, heaven is for those who overcome or conquer. Look in verse 7. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Talking here in reference to sin, folks. Sin is what separates us from God and his kingdom. And Romans chapter 8 verses 37 to 39 says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself has given us the victory over Satan, sin and death. He's paid our debt of sin before God. He has forgiven us. He has cleansed us. He has made us new creations. He has declared us righteous in God's sight. He has declared us to be children of God and citizens of the kingdom. And therefore, Paul says that there is nothing in all creation then that can separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing in all creation that can separate us because we are his secure and firm in his hand. We are in Christ's hand and Christ says, You're in my hand, and no one can pluck you out of my hand, and no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. So he says, For those who have conquered, for those who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, who have conquered sin through Jesus, he says, This is their heritage. This is our heritage. This is our inheritance. Heaven is home for all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Yet for those whose sins have not been forgiven, we read in verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters and all liars. And we might think, well, you know what? As I look through that list there, yeah, you know what? I don't think I'd class myself as any of those kind of people. It's my inheritance is isn't it? No, it isn't. Because although Jesus is named, you know, these people like the cowardly, the faithless, and so forth, what Jesus is actually referring to is those people whose sins have not been forgiven. Those people who are still in their sin because they have not come to Jesus Christ as their saviour and as the one who has purchased their forgiveness on the cross. Through his death and resurrection. And so he says for them, what will be their portion? What will be their inheritance? It will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Look at this in in more detail in a few weeks time. Heaven is for real. Amen. Heaven is for real. It is indeed our home. It is more glorious than anything we could ever imagine. Because there we'll enjoy the presence of God forever. So I ask you again today, are you looking forward to heaven and are you more cap- or are you more captivated by the here and now? If someone was to ask you today, do you want to go to heaven today? I guarantee a lot of people say, well, yeah, I do, but, you know, there's, yeah. Can we just leave? Can we just delay it for a few weeks or a few months or a few years? Folks, if we've got the right understanding of what heaven is, we'll be like the Apostle Paul and say, You know what? I'm there. I'm there in a flash. If this if the things of this world are more exciting and more enticing, then can I humbly suggest that maybe your treasure and therefore your heart is in the wrong place today? Folks, we need to look forward to heaven. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Where is your focus? Where is your focus? You know, I, I ask myself the question as I come to the end of this, end of this message. I ask myself the question, why is it that God would want us to know what heaven is like? Because, I mean, surely, I mean, that's, 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 that's down the track, isn't it? Why, why would God want us to know what heaven is like? I think it's this. It's because he wants us to have a hope. He knows the corruption of this world. He knows the difficulties, the discouragements, the disillusionment, and all the things that can come with living in this world today. And he says, you know what? There is something better. There is something better. I use this illustration sometimes in, uh, in messages I preach at funerals. There was a lady sat down one day to a, uh, to a beautiful, sumptuous feast, a beautiful dinner, and, uh, and at the end of that lovely dinner, she sat there and she said to the guests around about, and she says, keep your fork. Saying, what do you want about? Keep your fork. She said, because dessert's coming, it's the The best is still to come. The best is still to come. Folks, we need to keep our fork because the best is still to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for your encouragement through, through your word that gives us hope. But that hope is only found in Jesus Christ and through a living relationship with Him. My prayer this morning is that for every person, every heart in this place, that we can have a great assurance of knowing that Jesus is indeed our Lord and Saviour and that heaven is our inheritance. For those who may not have that uh, assurance themselves, I pray that you might speak to their hearts, that you might reveal yourself to them in a fresh way today, in a real way. Help them to see that you love them so much that you pursue them. You pursue them and, uh, and, and you seek after us in order to be, that we, you might be with us, that you might be our God and we might be your people and we might live with you forever and ever and ever. Thank you that you love us that much. Amen.